Hi, I'm Jared Fuller. Welcome to Scratching the Surface. There is this quote from the late, great Virgil Abloh that I think about all the time. He said, everything I do is for the 17-year-old version of myself. Everything I do is for the 17-year-old version of myself. This honestly speaks to so much of how I've oriented my career, and especially this podcast, which in many ways feels like a show that I make for me, for me today, but also for the younger me who wanted to be somehow in the design world, but didn't have models or mentors or people to look to to figure out how to do that. I kept thinking about this quote while listening back to today's episode with Julia Gamalina. Julia is the founder and editor-in-chief of Madam Architect, a digital magazine and media platform that celebrates women in architecture, where over the last five years, she and her team have released over 400 interviews with women across the architecture fields about how and why they do what they do. As you'll hear, Julia views the site as a type of mentorship. It's a way to show young people interested in architecture and design, how others have done it before, and the wide range of opportunities before them available in this field. On the occasion of the site's fifth anniversary in this conversation, Julie and I talk about the role of mentorship in her own life and the intersection of mentoring and publishing. We talk about the origins of the site and how it connects to her other work as a principal at Ennead Architects and as a visiting professor at Pratt, and where the site is headed next. I've been a follower of Madam Architect for years and have come to appreciate the range of interviews and how they illuminate various career paths and opportunities in design, something that I strive for in this show as well. If you like this episode and what we do here at Scratching the Surface, I hope you consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon supporters get bonus interviews, full transcripts, an exclusive monthly newsletter, and more. Head over to patreon.com slash surface podcast to sign up and get immediate access to help with the ongoing production of Scratching the Surface. That's patreon.com slash surface podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. And here is my wonderful conversation with Julia Gamalina. How do you start interviews usually when you do these? Do you, you always have a sort of similar first question that sort of tell me about your background. Do you sort of have a way in when you're talking to somebody? I just go right into let's start from the beginning. Uh, we're going to go way back. I kind of lead it up for them. And with my tone, I um, I think with my tone and also the phrasing, I let them know that we're really starting or like you yeah. know, from the very beginning. Um, and yeah, it's always the same, but I feel like the best part about that is people know their history so well and like their childhood is so foundational and so ingrained in their brain that um, it's a good warm up. What's your prep like when you're preparing to interview somebody? Are you, do you sort of know about their childhood when you ask that first question or are you sort of going to that completely blind? Usually completely blind. The This kind of thing, first of all, like in design media, there aren't a lot of personal mm-hmm. stories or there mm-hmm. were not, you know, before. So anything I would look that's been published before Madame Architect Genevieve was published probably doesn't include that. Maybe sometimes, maybe it's glazed over a little bit. Um, so it's a balance because I do want to ask pointed questions 
Um, I want to make sure I'm not going in, you know, totally blind. Maybe I am about the childhood aspect because, you know, people talk about that rarely, but I I definitely want to be familiar with people's work. At the same time, this is, we see the Madam Architect interviews as an opportunity for the people we interviewed to tell their story and to tell us what's been significant for them in their life and in their career development. So while I do research, I try not to project that too, too much. Like the questions are still pretty open. Um, and then if I do want to hear about a specific thing, I'll ask an open question like, what are you working on these days or what's coming up for you? And then if maybe they don't get to something, I'll ask about it. But I really do. Um, I want to encourage them to tell their own story and tell us what's important to them and significant for them. I realize it's weird to ask my first question to you is about what your first question is <laughs> when you do great. an interview. But to me, I, I don't always ask the same first question. Okay. And I spend a lot of time thinking about what that first question is going to be because it will set up things that I am interested. I wanted to set up nicely things that I'm interested in talking about later, or, you know, a way to sort of set the tone for the conversation. And I'm, the reason I asked sort of how you think about starting these interviews in the research is because you, I've noticed over, and we can talk about the history of Madam Architect in a Mm -hmm. second, but in reading a bunch of the interviews that you've done over the last couple of weeks and thinking about you and thinking about, about the site and this conversation, you do have beats to the interview. There are some similar questions, but they do turn in different ways. It's it's very conversational still. And I'm, I'm curious how asking that sort of personal story first, how does that change or not change subsequent questions? Or how do you sort of let that guide where the conversation is going to go? Mm-hmm. There's always themes that come out of, you know, those very early foundational years and maybe that first response that then come up later. Um, I just think, again, like our early days are so foundational and plant the seeds for things that we do later in life so early. Um, Yeah, the conversation really can go either way. Sometimes, though, I will say we've been doing more interviews that are timed with something, like if someone has a launch or, you know, a new project, maybe I'll start with, well, how about that? Or, you know, this is in the culture, like, what do you think about that? And then I'm like, okay, let's now take it back to the early days. Um, But I think, again, like, just whatever their energy is, whatever they want to share, I think our guidance as interviewers through these interviews is with an attitude of openness and flexibility Mm -hmm. and adaptability ourselves. So whatever energy this person is bringing, whatever story they have to tell, whatever they're going through at the moment and whatever they're sharing, or um, we just go along with that. And I think that's why the interviews become so personal um, and so different, even though the questions that we ask, the questions that we make sure to ask with each one are the same every time. You said earlier that you don't like to project the research that you do, project their story onto the interview. Mm -hmm. How much of yourself is in those conversations? How many of the questions that you're sort of thinking about in your own life, in your own work, make their way into the interviews that you do or the the curation of the people that you talk to? How much are you sort of like projecting yourself and your interests into this, I guess? I think pretty significantly, actually. Um, you know, it's so funny. People ask all kinds of questions about Madam Architect, and I sometimes have a hard time answering because it's just yeah. like at the at the core of it, it's so me. Everything about Madam Architect is just very much organically built from things I've done or interests I've had or things I'm interested in, in people and in architecture that um, 
yeah, I think just like caring about people's childhood and like being interested in childhood development as a totally different interest apart from architecture for me, like obviously that informs the interviews or um, hearing both about challenges, but also about significant milestones and celebrations. Mm. I think, you know, life is both. Life is very messy and mixed um, and there's peaks and valleys and it's all normal. And I think just um, communicating that and demonstrating that in the interview is really important to me. I think, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I always talk about scratching the surface as being a purely selfish endeavor. And it is a way for me to talk to people smarter than myself about the questions that I'm thinking about in my own life and work all the time. And so it sounds like it's a, a sort of similar, similar sort of driving force for you and Madam Architect. Yeah. I mean, so let's let's go back to to the beginning. You just celebrated five years of the site, four hundred interviews. You just were saying that so much of it is about you and your interests and questions that you have. Talk to me about how it started and sort of what that initial driving impulse was to to begin this project. Happy to. So this is when we take it all the way back to the beginning because <laughs> That's right. of these seeds are planted so early. And I also just want to say, I don't remember my life before Madam Architect, like mm. five years, an interview a week, you know, every week for five years. It's crazy. I don't yeah. know what I did with all the time that I had, but um, looking all the way back. So I think the foundational thing about so many things that I do is I immigrated um, very early in my life and multiple times in my life. And um, first from Siberia to Toronto, Canada, and again from Toronto to Colorado, to Colorado Springs when I was in high school. And I think ultimately what that does is you're a new kid in totally new contexts. You don't speak the language, um, which was a huge aspect of it. And, you know, there was no like system of people and mm. resources that we were tapping into my family and I we were kind of arriving cold and maybe mm -hmm. we had some friends of friends who maybe told us like which real estate broker to talk to um but you know I didn't really grow up with grandparents after a certain point or aunts and uncles or cousins there was no built-in system of people of that community that you know it takes a village to raise a child kind of thing so um and with that, my mom sat me down very early when we arrived in Canada and said, you know, sweetie, like, I'm your mom. Obviously, I'm going to do everything I can to support you and guide you. But I'm also new here. I don't speak English. I've never taken the SATs. I've never applied to um, North American universities <laughs> or <laughs> right. to jobs. And so when it comes to your career or to, when it comes to your academic advancement, and then ultimately your career advancement from that, I'm just not your best resource. I'm not even like, I might not even be a resource for you. So she encouraged me to talk to my teachers very early on or, you know, to have some other resources. So I did. I was very close with my teachers all through like elementary school, middle school, high school, and then again in college with my professors. And that has always served me really well. And those conversations expanded to much larger conversations about life and, um, you know, pay and, um, you know, just all kinds of things that you grapple with as a professional. So I say all this because when I then moved to New York City, which was another huge dream, I think more than being an architect, uh, I just wanted to be a professional in New York City. I watched all the movies, all the coming of age stories. And I, <laughs> and yeah, I yeah. Um, so I came to New York and had a very rude awakening and realizing that that system of mentorship that I relied on so heavily in school that was so readily av available with, you know, professors and teachers and stuff was completely gone. Right. And ultimately, when you're working at a company, you know, um, no one's going to be looking out for you 
just because you're there and they need to like it's it's a different it's a different system right they need to benefit from you being there and you need to benefit from you you know from being at this company too it's it's very much a two-way street but um just the dynamic is different the dynamic of support and mentorship becomes something else and um but apart from that, you know, I was working at much smaller boutique companies when I was first starting out. And, you know, I'm an Ennead now, and we have a wonderful mentorship program where we do a little bit of matchmaking of people and they're interested in and matching them up with senior leaders and whatever that area of interest is. And it's great. But the companies I was joining at first, you know, ranged from like five people to 25 people were very heavily male dominated. And I should say that as a young girl, newly, you know, newly arrived in North America, the people that I gravitated towards to guide me were my female teachers and mother figures. Um, And again, so like the male domination, the whole system of mentorship being different, all of that led me to find mentorship elsewhere in the city. I was out and about all the time going to all kinds of networking things and thankfully found Architects, which was started by a former professor of mine, Nina Friedman, and they had really wonderful women in architecture mentorship programs where I met some of these mentors, realized how much I was, you know, how much I was benefiting from advice they were giving me and guidance. And at some point I just said, you know what, I really need to share this. This is so amazing for me. It's very energizing. I'm like skipping to work the days <laughs> after I meet with them because I'm so excited to, for, you know, the first day of the rest of my life in my career. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just really wanted to share it. Um, I wrote for Architects' online journal. I did a few interviews offhand and then did a guest series called that guest series, Madam Architect. And okay. at some point it became really clear that Madam Architect needed to be um, an entity and a project of its own. Had you ever done any interviewing like that before or sort of structuring conversations to get this type of information from somebody? How did you learn that skill? It's funny you ask that. I, so, um, I watched a lot of YouTube interviews <laughs> okay. to learn English and honestly to get over some social anxiety I had as a new kid often. Uh-huh. I would just watch like David Letterman and Seth Meyers and Stephen Colbert and how they interviewed and for fun and like all the time. And when I was procrastinating on homework in high school, I would watch a bunch of their interviews. Um, That's so, so I funny. Did that. But actually, it's funny because... I had an interview experience in the profession even before, you know, Madam Architect interviews or mentorship interviews, which was when I um, when I was working in design, I was designing headquarters for a newly formed company in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And um, we, the leadership team, were required, not required, but the, you know, the first stages of this design was that we were interviewing all the members of the C-suite in this new, newly formed company on their mm. background, their vision for this company, what they wanted it to be, what they wanted the space to be. So I probably did between three and five interviews. One of them was at the home of the CEO, who's this like amazing art collector in Soho. Um, and just there was something there. I remember being like, this is my favorite part of anything I've done so far in the field. And uh, <laughs> yeah. can I do it more? Yeah. I have to say it's so funny. I I mean, David Letterman to me is has always been a big hero. And I, I would, you know, always watch his show. And like, I, I like I wanted to be him when I grew up. And I think like this podcast is the closest I'll be to that. And so it's so <laughs> funny to hear a sort of similar uh, method of learning interviews, because I feel the yeah. same. I, I feel that the same way. But you know, what's interesting is when I was watching them, you know, all the interviewers were male, David Letterman, again, mm-hmm. Myers, yeah. Stephen Colbert, like um, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel. And the guests that I was often watching were women because Uh, 
I was, again, like a teenage girl trying to figure out how to not have social anxiety and how to just like talk to people at parties. And so I was watching interviews of like David Letterman with Jennifer Lawrence or like right, right. something. What strikes me about your interviews is that I think it would be very easy for somebody who didn't know anything about Madam Architect, didn't know anything about sort of what you were doing, uh, to think that this was a series of interviews with women architects about what it means to be a woman architect. And they're not that. There's actually very little about the experience of being a, a woman uh, yeah. architect. Though I think that comes through obliquely, but that's that's never actually the goal of the interview, it seems to me. Uh, was that a conscious decision or could you sort of talk about that sort of editorial strategy? Completely conscious. We never ask, what is it like to be a woman in architecture? Right, right. Um, for a number of reasons. First of all, we know like there is enough in <laughs> the media out there. We have the statistics. Uh, we've read the articles, the op-eds. You know, we we know what the situation is, so we don't need to you know continue to hammer in. I mean, in some ways we do, but Madam Architect is not that place. I think Madam Architect is a place where we begin to offer solutions, mm-hmm. and um, and and I not necessarily in a strategic career advancement way of like, this is a solution to how to negotiate for a raise. It's not like that. It's a solution to this idea of where are all the female architects and it's like, here they are and here they are talking about their careers and being an architect. And really that's what the interviews are meant to be. It's not about what is it like to be a woman in the field is like, what is what they're meant to be is um, how has it been for you to become an architect, to be an architect, to create the work that you're doing, to build your career, to build your family, whatever it is that you want to build and integrate into your life. And let's just talk about that and all the challenges and milestones that come with it. You've talked a lot about Madam Architect as being a form of mentorship. You talked about just in this conversation, you've been talking about the value of mentorship in your own life and Mm -hmm. career. And I think that really comes through in the interviews is this sort of, um, like you just said, desire to be a guide to sort of show how people got to where they are. I'm curious sort of what you think about the relationship between publishing and media and mentorship, how, mm. how kind of what you're doing, how you sort of think about that, not just as a platform for publishing things, for featuring uh, the people that you're featuring, but also as something that people can learn from and sort of actively take things from. How do you think about that? Hmm. That's a great question. I was just on the subway this morning reading the New York Times newsletter, and there was an um, uh, like an interview with their publisher. Oh, yeah. I just read that right before yeah. this conversation, exactly. too. Yes, yes. And that got me thinking a little bit. And, um, you know, Madam Architect is not news. Um, we don't aim to, maybe we will one day, um, and we do with some interviews, like I said, if there's, if an interview corresponds with something that just happened to this mm-hmm. person or a new launch or whatever, obviously we time it and we talk about it, but Madam Architect has always meant to be sort of timeless and yeah. evergreen in terms of what you come there for. Um, I think it's meant to be like a timeless universal resource and it's, probably funny that I say universal because I very much hope that young men read it and, you know, gain Mm. wisdom from it and advice from it and guidance from it too. And young women from some of the guys we've interviewed for it, um, you know, just everyone hopefully comes to it for advice uh, from everyone. And yeah, it was a very intentional thing for it to just be very guidance based 
and timeless. And anytime you read an interview, even if it's an interview from 2018, it can maybe help you uh, in some way if you're reading it now. That makes sense to me. And maybe I'll give you a specific example that you can speak to. Um, because the what I really appreciate about what you're doing and why I keep coming back to the site is I think we've talked a lot about the, the mentoring side and the, the idea that the platform can be a type of mentorship. And I think one of the best ways it does that is showing alternative ways to be in this world, mm -hmm. um, that you can be in the architecture or design world without being an architect or a designer. Uh, you know, you talk to people on the business side, you talk to critics and writers and editors, you talk to educators, you talk to people sort of across the landscape about like, hey, how did you get to where you are? How'd you find your place in this field that... Mm -hmm at first glance feels really specific. If like you're going to be an architecture, you're going to be an architect. But mm -hmm. what you're kind of showing is no, you don't, which is a deep interest of mine. I think I try to do that hopefully a little bit on, on this show also. And it seems that maybe comes from your own experience also. You studied architecture, mm -hmm. uh, but now you're sort of working on, on the business side. You're editing, you're doing these interviews. Can you talk about that idea of sort of being in this world and working sort of outside of, uh, you know, the kind of dominant uh, ways that people work in this field and sort of how that filters into the, the interviews? I have so much to say about this. Um, <laughs> Great. Go for it. I It made a lot of sense why I studied architecture. I had such a variety of interests in high school. Um, I kind of did... I performed at the same level in all of my classes, which is to say I was just a very good student. I loved mm -hmm. learning. I was very curious. I liked writing. I liked math. I liked art. I liked all of it. Mm. One thing I didn't like too much was chemistry or physics. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's that. I'm really happy. And I considered fashion, but I didn't think everything I knew about the fashion industry, I didn't think the culture would be right for me. Um, mm. Same with art. Uh, I'm just a little bit yeah, it just architecture just made sense in a lot of ways. And I'm really happy I studied it. When I was in school, however, the long hours really weren't working for me. I, um, I've i only started talking about this publicly recently, but I do think it's important to share. I was really sick in architecture school. And I mm -hmm. didn't know that like me saying I was sick in architecture school has only been recent because it's only looking back that I'm like, oh, my God, like, that's a really right. big picture thing. But I had just really terrible autoimmune like eczema, allergy stuff all that burst, um, you know, my body wow. burst with in second year. But I'm saying this because I knew that it was the lifestyle that was creating all of this. I mean, a combination of things like what I was eating and staying up late and all the coffee and stress and just whatever. Um, and I, but I remember, you know, drafting at like two in the morning in my third year one day and just being like, this doesn't feel like me. Like, this does not feel like what I... Yeah. will be, should be, or meant to be doing. I'm really happy I'm studying this. I'm really happy I'm in this field. Um, but sitting here producing these drawings and being very technical about it is just not me. And I, I didn't articulate that in such a way to myself, but you know you can feel it in your mm -hmm. body. Like mm -hmm. People talk about feeling things in your body. So I kind of knew that. I kind of knew maybe midway through architecture school that an architect and striving to be a star architect or, you know, uh -huh. yeah. the things that people strive for when they go to architecture school and look at, you know, the, the, the beacons of success that are out there. I just, I didn't see that being my life. 
And someone said to me towards the end of architecture school, I think you're in the right stadium, but you quite haven't found your seat. And that really resonated with me and was really true. I think the world of architecture is really good for me. Um, I have a you know family history in construction. My grandmother has a photo of her in a hard hat on a construction site. My grandfather's, my dad's a structural engineer. Like it's kind of in my blood, but um, but obviously, you know, I'm, I'm all of us are born with extra things <laughs> apart from our families. So, yeah, when I came to New York, always wanted to be in New York, was so happy to be here again, was very happy to be a professional here, knew that I wasn't going to be a professional in law or medicine um, or fashion or tech. But the other, so this is the other interesting thing that I wanted to mention is that people talk about, you know, I work in fashion and that's their identity and they work in fashion, but they're not necessarily fashion designers. They can be in fashion PR. They can work for a fashion magazine. They can be on the sales side, but ultimately they work in fashion and that's what people kind of digest them as. Same within tech, you know, uh, people say I work in tech, well, Mm -hmm. that can be on the accounting side, software development, whatever it is. People don't really talk about that in architecture. There's not, you know, this aura associated with, I work in architecture that is in that same vein. And I wonder why. (laughs) I mean, I think I know why. I think it is because you're, if you're taught that if you're in architecture, you're an architect. And um, through my journey of figuring out exactly what I meant to be doing in architecture and with architecture and with the knowledge that I have, I've, you know, really paid attention to all the different professionals in an office and all the professionals I was meeting in, in, you know, in the world when I was out and about and consultant meetings. And my favorite parts of working on projects were the big client meetings where Mm. all the consultants show up and everyone talks to the client about the progress of the building. And those were so energizing and so interesting to me, just very intellectually interesting, seeing all the different pieces of it and the ecosystem. Um, that I just have such deep respect for all kinds of professionals in the industry. I mean, not even all kinds, just all. Everyone has a huge role that they play. And um, I think that's really, really, really important for architecture students to know. Also, because you're so young when you major in architecture, right? Like people go to liberal, liberal arts colleges and study political science and then become magazine editors or you know, study physics and then end up in tech or something. And um, that's so normal and so healthy. And I want that to be the same thing for students that pursue an architectural education too. I I love everything that you just said there. And it, I really relate to that also. So you, you had this moment when I think you said you were third year, um, mm-hmm. sort of thinking this isn't me. And you had a, a mentor say, you're in the right stadium. You haven't found your seat. What was the first job that you when you moved to New York, what were you doing right after you graduated? I was doing design. I worked, okay. um, had a summer internship that unfortunately did not end up in a full-time position, just overhead things <laughs> and financing things. And that's what happens when it's a firm of four. Um, and then I worked with Studio V Architecture here in the city. But as on the design side? On the design side. I was on the design side. So I've been out of school now for 10 years. I've so far been on the design side for half of that. Okay. And, uh, and then Madam Architect and everything else for the other five. <laughs> so, I mean, I, the reason I ask that is I, I want to hear about how you found your seat or how you continue mm. to find your seat in the stadium. And like I said, I, I relate to your story in that I think, yeah, you know, I, I have... I'm, I'm like a couple years older than you, I guess, um, remembering graduating, thinking, oh, I'm going to be a designer. I want to be a designer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then working as a designer and just like hating it and thinking yeah. like, oh, everything I work in it. I, it's only in the last couple of years that I've sort of realized, you know, or at least have come to accept that, oh, my place in here is maybe not like 
running a studio. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, that's like a dream that I held on to for longer than I should have. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I was doing all this other stuff and was really successful at all this other stuff, there was still mm-hmm. this like, oh, this is just like placeholder until the real mm-hmm. stuff happens. Tell me about that for you. How, how has that this last yeah. 10 years been like? So I came to New York. I knew I wanted to be a professional in New York. I knew I wanted a career. That's all always been programmed I think also from you know my mom and immigrating you know we came with very little and um, my mom you know set into me this idea that any sort of upward mobility and anything I wanted in this life be it buy a house or you know travel or whatever I would have to work for it's like there was just nothing no resources that were there to rely on for that so I've just been programmed to be like okay career 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 Mm-hmm. knew I wanted a career, knew I wanted a significant career because so much of my identity was tied into academic success, whatever, which is fine. And I'm very, you know, very happy about that. Um, and But the other thing is I knew that the world I was entering into, again, like, and the role I was in, maybe it wasn't totally natural. So I had a very rigorous self, like, exploration period mm-hmm. where I was reading all kinds of articles about how to figure out what it is that you want to be. I was on articles on Fast Company. I was on LinkedIn and it's very early days. Yeah. I bought the book, all the books of like how to steal like an artist. What else? Like creatives, 24 hour routines. And I was journaling a lot. One of the other things I hadn't mentioned yet, but it's very key to Madam Architect and me and you know everything that I'm doing today is that I always wrote a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a diary since I was a tiny kid in Russia. Um, it's actually really cute to look back on like this really like, <laughs> oh I bet <laughs> and reading. Um, but I always journaled. I journaled all through college trying to figure out what my thesis was going to be about and what I was going to do after and what I should mm-hmm. focus on. And that continued in my between my early to mid 20s of like, what do I want to be? What do I want to do? What do I like? Da, da, da. And what I would do is try to pay attention throughout the day of moments when I felt happy and excited and moments where I was kind of lethargic and maybe dreading it. Mm. Um, And I was writing in my journal all the time. I liked this. I didn't like that. This was cool today. This felt good today. This did not feel good today. And I realized that I loved writing emails. (laughs) (laughs) I was so precise and careful with my emails, probably in the way that you should be with your drawings when you're a designer. Uh, I uh cared more about the email correspondence and the communication and the meetings. Uh Um, So that was a big clue. And, but yeah, I was like coming home most days and like getting to my desk and journaling about just my like trying to find what it is that I wanted to do and that I liked and the other exercise I did a lot which actually I really recommend to anyone is anyone I admired um I would go on LinkedIn and find their bio and how they described what they did and I would try to write it for me like in their format you know like if someone was an owner of a branding agency I'd be like "Ooh, do I want to own an agency one day what would that be and I would like write out their bio but with all my stuff and that actually, I think, really helped get some gears turning. Yeah, we're so similar. I did that. <laughs> I, I did that exact same thing. So, so much, so much. Very rigorous. You recently started teaching at Pratt in the mm-hmm. architecture program. How has that sort of influenced how you think about your work, whether that's the work at ENEAD, the work at Madam Architects? To me, teaching sounds like it's another way to, to think about mentorship, a way to sort of yeah. think about these different you know, ways of helping people find their seat in the stadium. What have you learned from teaching? What have I learned from teaching? The students have really amazing questions. Mm. I think it, I, so I taught, I teach professional practice. 
okay. which is amazing because it's exactly, you know, you know, people ask me a lot, how do you do all the things that you do together? And my role at Ennead, what I do with Madam Architect and me teaching professional practice, all, um, all like, what's the word? Um, reinforces the same things, I think. You know, professional practice was all about um, showing these students the different professions that are possible in the practice. Mm. So, um, you know, we met once a week on Fridays for three hours. The first hour or so, hour and a half, would be a guest lecturer that, you know, and every week would be a different professional in the industry. We had a lawyer Mm. come in. We had someone owning a small boutique practice come in. We had a client come in. Um, a PR consultant come in, so very different professionals, which was amazing. And it's so what I've learned from teaching is that the students come with questions. It's very clear to me what they don't know, what they haven't been exposed to yet, what they're anxious about. Everyone's anxious about jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the number one thing. These students just really want to find jobs and internships and to know that next step. And I saw my role as being their support and encouraging them and letting them know that there are so many things out there for them and they'll all be okay. And um, yeah, I I was very fortunate. I did end up finding some amazing mentors and I just try to model that. Like I remember the people that made me feel good and not anxious and excited about the future and what they said to me. And that has really stuck to me. And I try to do that for my students. Do you think being in the classroom has changed how you approach Madam Architect? (laughs) Yes. I mean, it definitely has to. I think the students are asking really great questions about the profession they're about to enter into, you know, the long hours, the the low pay, et cetera. And I do feel a heightened sense of responsibility in bringing, Uh, you know, bringing stories to Madam Architect that support all the right things yeah. to the people that do pay their staff well, um, the, the companies that do have good hours. I'm not going to say that every single person we've interviewed is, you know, um, does all of this. I, um, you know, we're, we're not, we're also not investigative journalists, right? So it's, it's there's a balance there. Um, but I do feel the sense of, okay, we're, we want to focus on a side of the industry that's focused on progress and moving forward in a healthy way. Mm. And when I'm thinking about our editorial lineup these days, especially after having taught, I, I think I've always thought about these things just because I myself was, you know, again, the long hours, yeah. the uh, were things that I didn't encourage, but um, I do think I'm more focused and more intentional about it now. How else do you think the site's changed over the last five years? 400 interviews, mm-hmm. you've grown, you've changed. How how do you think that's sort of reflected on the site, the types mm-hmm. of guests you have, the questions you ask? For sure. Well, right. So we do want to profile people that are doing good things for the industry, people that are doing creative mm. things that haven't been done before. So we really do look for people that are starting something new or doing or, you know, um, showcasing a new model of practice, perhaps. Um, and what's been really important for us is, you know, it's a really big world out there. We can all learn from each other. I'm sure architects in Japan, architects in Africa um, and architects in like South America all we have learned things from the way they construct and the construction industry there um, that they can, you know, teach us and uh, vice versa. So having a global perspective is very, very important to us. Um, having the perspective of multiple professions, professionals is important to us, but that's been there from the beginning, I think. Mm-hmm. The other thing 
uh, I want to make sure I mention about Madam Architect is the interviews are really the heart and soul of it, the 400 interviews, the feature interviews, but we have so much other content right. that I think also informs who we who we pick to interview for the features. You know, we have a day in the life column where we focus on daily routines, and those are absolutely fascinating because mm-hmm. that's where you really hear about the like, this is how I integrate all that I can into my day. Uh, which sounds too, that sounds too grindy. That sounds like, you know, every day is a hustle, whatever. But it's just, um, you know, integrating all the things that you want in your life into your life on the scale of a day. We have an expert column, which touches on something you mentioned earlier about, you know, we don't like, we don't ask what it's like to be a woman. But I did notice that around the time Adam Architect was getting started, you know, there was that whole idea of diversity on panels, not diversity panels, which speaks to this idea that women are often asked to talk about the experience of being a woman in the industry, right? They're not, if you need um, a technical expert or there's a panel on a very specific technical subject, um, sometimes I was noticing that women weren't represented as much on there, even if they were maybe the best expert in that area in the field. And Mm -hmm. so we started the expert so that women could write about their research and design interests without any, you know, without other elements that maybe are they're often associated with in the industry, which has been really important for us. We have a historical column, we have a design critic. So we also share a female perspective in all these different ways. Um, and I just think that's been so good as the brand grows and as our readers grow. And um, we actually hear from a lot of people that are not in the industry uh, that they love the historical column with mm. expert essays. We we published an, an essay by this woman, Denise, who wrote on the architecture of Central Park and the history of it and kind of how it's been renovated, et cetera. And there was a lawyer, a media professional um, in New York who was like, yeah, I love that column. That's the one that I read because oh, I nice. know, I'm not in the industry, but I want to know about my city. I, I, it's, I mean, I was going to ask you about those sort of other columns and and verticals. And so I'm glad you brought that up. And so I'll ask you a sort of sub question to that. I was watching a talk that you gave recently in preparing for this, and you were talking about interest in other kinds of media, thinking about video or other formats, or you mentioned fiction there. What's next for the site? Or how are you thinking about... um, diversifying the media to tell these types of stories. I'm so glad you asked. We're launching two new things uh, at the end of this month. I mean, I guess I can probably, I can, I think I can break some news on okay. this podcast. I, um, I mean, you earlier said that we're not a investigative journalists and we're not breaking news. So if we can break news, I'm going to be very happy. We can break some news. With you, okay. I'll break news. So we're launching two new columns on Madam Architect at the end of the month. The first is a Madam Architect city guide. Um, ah. You know, women design buildings in cities, women-owned restaurants, exhibits featuring, you know, focusing on women. Um, I'm about to go to Toronto, my hometown, and that'll be our first city guide. I'm super excited. Oh, to, great. You know, publish That's great. And yeah, there's some excellent restaurants um, all by the same woman in Toronto that I can't wait to uh, to highlight. So that's one. And the other one is called Sharing Notes. It'll be a column where we interview women in other industries, male-dominated or not. Oh, interesting. But, you know, just on ways, I think for male-dominated industries, for other industries, like the, law, the legal industry, um, I think has achieved 
equity relatively quickly, definitely compared to architecture, the medical industry achieved it very quickly um, earlier. And so we want, while we want to interview women in male-dominated industries and other male-dominated industries and kind of share notes on how those industries are doing it, how they've built their careers, I think it's interesting just for people in other industries because we do have those professionals in architecture. Like, why not interview a writer on what great writing is? Yeah. which is definitely a resource that, you know, is very helpful for architects or therapists on how to manage stress. Again, very, um, <laughs> yeah. probably yeah. very good for architects to read about. So I'm super excited to bring those resources too. Let me ask you two more questions before, okay. uh, before we wrap up. I'm curious sort of your thoughts on architecture and design media generally, and maybe perhaps how Madam Architect fits in there. Mm-hmm. Um, what's missing from how we're talking about architecture and design today? What do you want to see more of? How do I'm asking you a bunch of questions. You can answer these sort of however you want or Mm -hmm. ignore the ones you don't. How does Madam Architect sort of counter dominant media? I'm I'm, I'm sort of in, I guess like broadly, I'm interested in sort of your thoughts on the landscape of, you know, sort of design and media publishing right now. Definitely. So one of the reasons I started Madam Architect also is because when I was growing up, before I had met mentors, when I was new to cities, I was reading Seventeen and Teen Vogue, Mm. and those were my guides, and those were very good guides, and I got a lot of advice and encouragement from publications like this. One thing I did notice, however, especially when I had decided to go to architecture school, was that they hardly ever featured architects. I maybe Mm. saw in all of the, you know, Seventeen magazine hard copies I still have and Teen Vogue, all of that, I saw maybe like one architect featured over a period of years, which was very disheartening. And then on the other side for architecture media, when I was also reading it at the time, my, you know, my dad had the wherewithal to get me a subscription to architectural record in high school. So I started nice. reading that very early, you know, they weren't telling personal stories. And of course, uh, you know, um, I wasn't seeing a lot of women represented there, period. So I did feel like there was this missing middle of uh, what, what general women's interest magazines focused on for architects. And then what architecture media focused on, but it wasn't really focusing on people. And I think Madam Architect has really done that. I, and I was also very intentional about that. However, I don't think that architecture media or design media needs to do less of what it was doing. I think it's very important to show projects and news and, you know, highlight things regarding labor practices and the climate crisis and things like this. Um, so I think that definitely needs to keep going. I'm really happy we have the resources that we do. And from things like record to architects newspaper to design, I mean, there's mm-hmm. uh, like, mm-hmm. I think all are wonderful and necessary and different. Um, mm-hmm. And then plus Madam Architect, then you have <laughs> a more complete yeah. package. I think in terms of what's missing, um, there are a lot of really good writers that are architects. I think the stereotype is that architects are not good at writing, but I know some yeah. that are. And I want to, I want more op-eds, more personal essays. Um, I would just love to hear. Yeah, would just love to see more personal essays and personal takes on things. My last question is the question I use to end all of these. I'm curious what you're reading right now. Ooh, I'm reading... Oh, gosh. I'm a huge memoir gal. Uh, I inhale memoirs. Um, So I'm reading Stray by Stephanie Dandler. Stephanie Dandler did a really interesting thing where she spent a decade in the restaurant industry and kind of countered to Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential. She mm. wrote a coming-of-age story, a novel of a young woman coming of age in the the restaurant industry and, you know, um, the underbelly of it. 
So she did that first, and then she wrote a memoir, um, which is excellent. And she's writing two more things that I can't wait. Um, I think it's called Spain and Smog. But anyway, so Stray, wonderful memoir. And I'm also reading Ladies Get Paid. (laughs) Nice. Very on brand for this conversation. (laughs) Julia, thank you so much. Congratulations on five years and, and 400 interviews. It's Believe me, I know I know that the type of work that goes into doing that. And so congratulations on everything and thanks for this, this really nice conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Jared. It's been so much fun. This episode was recorded on May 15th, 2023. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Service Podcast. You can support the show on Patreon and find previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening. <laughs>